0: On the 28th of June, 1914, one moment changed the entire course of modern history as we know it. The man responsible is often included in the argument, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. A term that could be used in revolutionaries such as Nelson Mandela or infamous men of terror such as Osama Bin Laden. Even if you don't know much about history, you certainly know about the consequences of this man's actions. That is because this man is the reason for one of, if not the most, brutal conflicts in human history, the First World War. His name was Gavrilo Princip, and all it took was one bullet to ignite the powder keg that was Europe into all-out, never-before-seen, mechanised warfare. The first episode of this series is dedicated to telling the story of the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand and Duchess Sophie of Hohenberg by Gavrilo Princip. To understand why Princip assassinated the heir to the mighty Austro-Hungarian Empire, we have to look at some context between Austria-Hungary and its neighbouring countries, particularly Serbia and Bosnia. Before World War I, the Austro Hungarian Empire had been a European powerhouse. The empire was ruled by the seemingly everlasting Habsburg monarchy, and was in fact the last empire they would rule. In 1878, Austria Hungary were mandated to occupy the region we know today as Bosnia Herzegovina through the Treaty of Berlin. In the same treaty, the major European powers of the time, such as Britain, France, the newly formed German Empire, Russia and even Austria-Hungary, formally recognised the Principality of Serbia as a fully sovereign state. Geographically, these three countries, Austria-Hungary, Serbia and Bosnia, all neighbour each other. Serbia specifically looked like a country trapped from all sides. They are dominated to the north and west by the enormous Austro-Hungarian territory, to the south is the territory of the Ottoman Empire, another expansive empire that also had a tumultuous relationship with Serbia, and to the east was Romania, so as a country they are surrounded by former conflict. Despite this, for the first 20 years of its existence, relations were fairly good between Serbia and Austria-Hungary. This all changed in 1903, when the Serbian royal palace was stormed by Serbian military officers, who shot and killed their king, Alexander I, 30 times. then also shot his wife, Queen Draga, 18 times and if that wasn't enough, they stripped the bodies, sabred them, and threw them out the window. The new rulers of Serbia wanted to return the country to its former power of the 14th century, meaning it wants to reunite all Serbian people. Some reside in the Bosnian region, some even reside in Austro-Hungarian territory. Serbia wanted to take Bosnia, but was beaten to it by the Austro-Hungarians, who annexed Bosnia-Herzegovina in 1908. They instead turn their attentions to the Ottoman Empire, which leads to the First Balkan War, the other empire that engulfed Serbia I previously mentioned. More importantly, however, is that between 1908 and 1914, there were five assassination attempts on Austro-Hungarian officials, predominantly by Serbian nationals. So it's pretty clear they want something to change, and they want it done soon. In Bosnia itself, a new group is forming, called Young Bosnia. Their eventual goal is to hopefully dissolve Austria-Hungary and have a free state. Perfectly reasonable in today's refound passion for nationalism. This is where we meet Gavrila Princip in this story. He is a Bosnian Serb who is a member of Young Bosnia and is willing to give his life to fight for their cause. Before we talk about the events of the assassination, I would like to address the importance of the date on which it occurred, the 28th of June. Not only is this the anniversary of the Archduke and the Duchess, but it's also a very important date in Serbian culture. It's known as Vidovdan it marked the date of a heroic and valiant defeat for the Serbians to the Ottoman Empire in the Battle of Kosovo in 1389. And ever since then, it's been a major point of national pride and unity for Serbian people. The hero from the battle, for Serbs at least, is Miloš Obilič. He was a Serbian knight and was able to sneak into the Ottoman camp and slit the throat of the Ottoman sultan. If you are unaware of the rule of a sultan, imagine Joseph Stalin is personally overseeing the Battle of Stalingrad in 1942 and is camped somewhere outside the city. If one lone Nazi soldier is able to enter the Russian camp and kill the leader of the USSR on the spot, that is on par with what Obilic does on that day. Eventually, however, Obilic was caught and beheaded, but he lives on in the hearts and minds of Serbians as a martyr for Serbian independence. The story may simply be just that, a story, as some do believe, but it certainly resonates greatly with Serbs fighting for independence. As one historian even claims, Princip could recite a poem about Obilic by heart, so for a foreign power to send an heir to the throne on this day, not only is it disrespectful for ethnic Serbs in Sarajevo, it also seems like a perfect date for someone who is willing to give their life for a cause that wants to unite all Serbs. It's early morning, on the 28th of June 1914, and the Archduke and his wife have finally arrived in Sarajevo, the capital of Bosnia. They have planned to inspect the military barracks, then make their way along the Apple Key to the town hall a fairly normal visit from the ruling power to show their face in the city and maybe gain favour from the public. What always strikes me as weird, and forgive me if I'm wrong with this, but I don't think I am, the route of the Archduke's motorcade was predetermined and published around Sarajevo, meaning anyone would know where the Archduke would be at any time. It almost seems like an invitation for tragedy, but that might just be the fortune of hindsight. Because people are aware of the route, Danilo Illich, who is a Bosnian Serb-like princip, places six assassins along the Apple Key. All the men are armed, some with pistols, some with hand grenades, some with both. For this story though, the only two men we need to focus on are Nadjelko, Kabrinovich, and Gavrilo Princip. One of the more poetic parts of this story I find is that Kabrinovich and Princip were both suffering from tuberculosis. Today, tuberculosis is an extremely treatable disease and can be cured within six months. A century ago, however, it was a rampant, deadly disease that was spreading across the entire world. I don't like to use the phrase death sentence as I'm sure some were able to survive, but it was fairly certain these men would die soon. These men were aware that they did not have long to live and they decided to use their remaining days fighting for a cause they believed in. In addition to that, what always manages to blow my mind is that these two men were barely men at all. They were both only 19 years old. You can call it blind fanaticism, or you can call it a loyal, brave sacrifice for their beliefs, but I find it extraordinary that someone at that age would be willing to give their life for such a thing. And luckily for them, the day was already turning in their favour before their task began. When leaving the train station, three local police officers mistakenly entered the first car of the motorcade, replacing seats that were originally meant to be taken by the chief officer of special security and his entourage. The archduke and his wife are placed in the third car, Joined by Governor Petorirek, Lieutenant Colonel Count Franz von Hallack, and the driver, Leopold Lojka. The car they are driving is an open-top parade car with the roof down. As the motorcade passes the first assassin, he does nothing and lets the car pass. The same happens with the second. The third, however, is Nadiako Kabrinovich. He is standing on the other side of the road as the first two assassins, on the side of the river Milyauka. Kabrinovich pulled a bomb from his jacket, threw it towards the procession, but it bounces off the folded roof of the Archduke's car, which had been laid flat on the boot, and it rolls underneath the car behind it. Because there is a time delay on the bomb, it goes off underneath the car behind the Archduke and his wife. The explosion wounds at least 15 people, and causes a mass panic, not only amongst the crowd, but in the motorcade as well, allowing the first three cars to speed off towards the town hall. In his escape, Kabrinovich takes a cyanide pill from his pocket, swallows it, and throws himself into the river. But there are two problems here. The cyanide pill is far too old and is already faulty, so he does nothing. Secondly, it's June, so the river is just about 10 centimeters deep, around 4 inches, and is far too shallow for him to drown himself. Kabrinovich is eventually dragged in the river and beaten by the crowd before being escorted away by police. The rest of the assassins, including Princip, do nothing at this point. They see three cars, speed past them, and either believe the Archduke has already been killed or simply failed to act. By the time the Archduke arrives at the town hall, he is visibly shaken to onlookers. The speech he is to give has been delayed, because his speech had to be fished from one of the men who was injured in the explosion. Not only that, but there is still wet blood on the pieces of paper he wrote his notes on. Some report the Archduke even said, Do you think Sarajevo is full of assassins? Here is where the story really turns in the favor of Prince The Archduke and his wife decide to visit the hospital where the wounded are being treated. However, they do not tell the driver that the route is to be changed and so they go back in the same car and drive back along the Apple where the assassins were waiting. Princip has relocated himself opposite the Latin Bridge just outside a nearby food shop. As he is standing there, he sees a car pull into the side street right in front of him. It's the Archduke's car. No one has told the driver of the new route and he's turned right by accident off the apple key, directly into the path of Princip. Princip is now less than two metres from the Archduke. He pulls out his pistol, he steps on the footboard of the car, and fires two shots. The first hits the Duchess in the abdomen, the second hits the Archduke in the neck and slices his jugular vein. Amongst Fernand's last words was Sophie, Sophie, don't die, live for our children. The couple would both be dead within the hour. Both Kabrinovich and Princip were able to avoid a death sentence, but they were sentenced to 20 years in prison. The only reason for this is because they were both under the age of 20 on the day of the assassination, and the courts would not send anyone under the age of 20 to death. Both men did plead guilty in their trial. Both were proud of what they did. Kabrinovich believed he was a Serbian hero, and said, We are not criminals. We are honest people, animated by noble sentiments. We are idealists. We wanted to do good. We have loved our people, and we shall die for our ideals." Princip also reiterated his nationalist intentions, stating, "...I am a Yugoslav nationalist, aiming for the unification of all Yugoslavs, and I do not care what form of state, but it must be freed from Austria." The only thing Princip did regret was murdering the Duchess, Sophie. He intended to kill Potoyrek, the general who was in the same car as the royal couple, but was nevertheless still proud of his actions. Sadly for both the men, however, they died before they could see their wish of a united Slavic people. Kabrinovich died on the 20th of January 1916 from tuberculosis. Princip died on the 28th of April 1918, also from complications from tuberculosis. A nation for unified Slavic people, Yugoslavia, was not created until after the First World War, on the 1st of December 1918. Ultimately, their biggest legacy upon the world will be the destruction caused by the First World War, A war built on alliances and royalty, but fought by young men much like Princip and Kabrinovich. I don't think a true final figure will ever be able to be measured, but I think the closest number we have for the number of casualties, both militarily and civilian, in World War I is somewhere close to 40 million people. Up to 22 million of those are deaths. It's a number that is almost inconceivable, and I stand by the opinion that the conditions those men lived through during the First World War are some of the worst battlefields you can possibly imagine. Some of the stories that come from the battles, like the Second Battle of Ypres, can really be stuff of nightmares. We shouldn't also forget the conditions civilians would have to live through, either being displaced, or having their village, their whole lives, being uprooted by a war that in the end solved nothing. The men's local legacy lives on in a much better light, however. Both Princip and Kabrinovich's bodies were originally buried so their remains could not be used as relics, but that did not stop people finding them. Their remains now lie beneath the Vidovdan Hero Chapel in Sarajevo, In the same city the assassination took place. On the chapel, it states it was built to commemorate for eternity our Serbian heroes. Princip has a statue in a park named after himself in Belgrade, Serbia. There is also a plaque marking the location of the assassination in Sarajevo directly on the corner it happened. You can even still see the blood-stained uniform of the Archduke in the Museum of Military History in Vienna, along with the car they drove and the pistol Princip used to assassinate the Archduke and his wife. To come back to the point I made at the start of the episode, I think Gavrila Princip is a fine example of one man's terrorist being another man's freedom fighter. During the Soviet years of Yugoslavia, both men were celebrated as Slavic heroes and themselves honored as martyrs, much like Princip's hero, Abilic. And I think that's probably the nicest part about this story. I'm still not sure if I agree with their methods, and I don't know if I ever will, but I can certainly appreciate the commitment and level of dedication it took for two young men to give their lives for a cause allowing themselves and their people. be free thanks for listening to this episode of crucial history if you enjoyed it feel free to rate and review and if you didn't well there's nothing from stopping you from leaving your opinion either there is no team behind this podcast it's just me so any feedback is greatly appreciated i hope you can join us in the next episode where we discuss the assassination of grigori rasputin